Good morning. If you have your Bibles, you'd like to open up to Matthew chapter 13. Um, it's on page 768 in the Black Pew Bible provided. Uh, we will be continuing on in our, our series, Parables, Stories of Jesus. Uh, walking through the parables of Matthew 13. Last week, Peter started our series off uh, going through the parable of the sower and the four soils. And the, he, he cast the seed liberally on all the different soils. And only what then happened would reveal what those soils were. And uh, today we're going to be looking at the parable of the, the wheat and the weeds, uh, or the wheat and the tares. And, uh, and looking also, again, continuing this agrarian theme of planting and growing. Uh, <clears throat> but just as a reminder of, of the book of Matthew and the importance of parables and what Jesus was doing here, Matthew uh, could be considered a bridge, a bridge to the Old Testament. Um, as we look, uh, one, it was written by Matthew, Levi, um, the tax collector, a Jew, written uh, by a Jew to the Jews on who this Jew, Jesus Christ, is. Um, it was a a fulfillment of the Old Testament, seeing how from the book of Genesis, as God created his redemptive story and called out Abraham, called out a people group onto himself and made a promise that through Abraham he would bless all nations. Then he rose up King David, who he said, from your line will come a king who will reign forever, coming into all the prophecies of the um, through the prophets and the, and the rest of their story, but coming into Matthew, we open up into Matthew at the very beginning where it says, this is, this Jesus is a son of Abraham. This Jesus is the son of David. This Jesus is the Messiah. He is the king of the Jews. And this is his life, his message, his story. And then going through the beginning chapters when he gives a sermon on the mount, he presents um, that he is better than Moses, that he is um, being raised up as king, and he's delivering a kingly sermon, a message, uh, declaring himself the anointed one, the Messiah to the people. We see in, in Matthew chapter 12 that the, um, the Jewish leaders representing the nation of Israel uh, rejected Jesus as the Messiah, rejected his message, so Jesus shifts gears and no longer speaks to them plainly, but speaks to them in parable. In story form. A parable is two stories side by side. It's an earthly story with a kingdom meaning. Uh, he did this for the reason that they rejected the message they already heard, and he was not going to reveal more of his message until they would receive what they've already heard. It's his, is Jesus, um, as, as an act of grace by Jesus, not to keep pouring on more and more for people who aren't willing to hear. So you hear the refrain over and over again, he who has ears, let him hear. Are you listening? Uh, is, uh, do you hear what he has to say? And are you receiving and obeying that? Uh, and so he shifts into parable form when he speaks to the crowd going forward. But then when he, he gets together with his disciples, he'll speak more plainly to them at times. <clears throat> and we saw that last week in the parable of the sower. Again, the context we're at is after the rejection of his message and, and chapter 12, we're in 13, where it says in one verse 1 and 2, it says, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And now this picture is actually what Peter took at the Sea of Galilee. So very similar scene, Jesus would have been in a boat speaking to the crowds on the shore. And he's, uh, 
he's delivering these, these parables. In this large crowd, Jesus would have known that amongst the crowd, there were genuine believers, those who really wanted to know the truth and wanted to sincerely follow Jesus. He would have known there were some there who wanted to see a show. Will he perform a miracle? Will he do something spectacular? I'm here kind of out of curiosity, but not really buying into everything. Just want to see a good time. And then, then there were those who uh, rejected or opposed and scoffed and mocked and wanted to turn people away. So in this crowd, he sees basically a microcosm of the kingdom of heaven that he's going to describe in the parable we're looking at. And he knows that there are believers and non-believers alike out there. And so he speaks to them in this parable. And so with that, let's read through um, in Matthew 13, verses 24. And we'll read through verse 30. He, Jesus, put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore again, then the weeds also appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow until, together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. We'll stop there for right now. <clears throat> As we consider what's going on here, again, um, last week we saw the sower just cast the, uh, the seeds liberally onto different soils, and here we see he's casting the soil, seeds into his field. And he's casting good seed. We get the, that he's, he's giving that. And then, then one night, a, an enemy comes and plants bad seeds in this to, to destroy his crop. Now, in that time, it was actually a common practice for enemies to sneak in the fields uh, of those they opposed. And they would either salt the fields, rendering the soil useless for growth, or they would plant weeds. And so it was a common practice. When Jesus spoke this parable, here's a story that the people of their day would say, hey, that happened to my neighbor. Like, it was a common, everyday occurrence-type story that would resonate based on their experience, an earthly story that made sense to them. And the Romans actually had to legislate laws to say if someone was caught salting a field or, or planting weeds in someone else's field, they would be arrested as a criminal. Uh, and so they had to do that when the, uh, when the workers of the field recognized that there were weeds out there to say, hey, should we, should we pull the weeds? And, and, the, and the sower said, no, leave it until harvest. At harvest, we will separate them, and we will take the weeds and burn them, and uh, the wheat will be gathered into my barn. I think that's just a, such an important thing to, to think through uh, that what, what the story's talking about. Now, at the very beginning, Jesus says this in verse 24, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man. Stop there for a second. We got, uh, <clears throat> when we come to a parable... A parable is not an allegory. Some would like to take an allegory and make every little part mean something different. And, and really, you could take it in so many different ways. A parable tends to have a meaning pointing towards one main overall point um, and, and for a, sig a significant purpose. It was uh, for those who had ears to hear, they would recognize the kingdom truth being presented 
and be encouraged by it. For those who rejected and did not want to hear, uh, they would understand a story, but would fail to connect the, the spiritual meaning to it. But it was also designed for those who have rejected that maybe, as stories do, capture our heart and draw us in, that even in telling a story that was hidden, hiding the plain truth was provoking them to faith. Would you listen? Can you allow the story to capture your heart, capture your imagination, and point you to something? So he says, the teaching is the kingdom of heaven, and it can be compared to this, and he tells a story. The kingdom of heaven is, uh, and the kingdom of God are synonymous. There's no, no difference that, uh, actually, as we talked about that, Matthew being Jewish, um, and is what was a common practice among the Jews was not to take the Lord's name in vain. So rather than risking saying God and defiling the name of God, they would not say the name of God at all. Um, and they would say kingdom of heaven in replace of kingdom of God. Um, and seeing that Matthew was a book written by a Jewish person to the Jewish people to declare the, to them the Jewish Messiah, uh, it continues the characteristics of the Jews um, to reach them. Each of the four Gospels has a different purpose and plan and audience as they take into account what they're writing. And so we have the, the, the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are synoptic Gospels, meaning that they're similar. And as you read through them, you're going to say, I, th these stories resonate, they go together, but there's little different um, uh, nuances or, or influences there because each one is trying to capture a different part of Jesus Christ to communicate to the audience. And so Matthew, again, is talking about Jesus as king. And, the, and, the, and the, a king has a kingdom or, or a, and his reign, that the kingdom of heaven is talking about the reign of God, his power into this world. Uh, that Jesus is speaking about the power of God onto salvation, his plan and purpose in this world. And I think it's no coincidence that he says the kingdom of God may be compared to a man, and we'll get into that in just a, a moment. And uh, the Holman Bible Dictionary said this, the kingdom of God is already present, but not yet fully completed, both a present and future reality. And what Jesus is talking about here in the gospel of Matthew and in our reality today, that the kingdom of God, the reign of Christ, that Jesus Christ is presently today king, yet his his earthly kingdom has not been established that one day things will be different where the fullness of his kingdom will be experienced. But right now it is not. It is already present, but not yet. Um, and so when we talk about the kingdom of God, the plan of redemption, God's redemptive story, his power through Jesus Christ uh, to draw people into a relationship with him. So the great thing about this is I've been tasked to explain the parable that Jesus gave here this morning um, we see that the disciples were curious guys and didn't always quite connect the dots even though they spent a lot of time with Jesus and so they asked a question uh, later when they went back into the house most likely Peter's house in Capernaum and, uh, and they, they went from out on the boat back into the house and they asked the question what, what does this mean and so we'll pick up reading again in chapter 13 verse 36 to 43 then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him and saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. 
The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And as we, we consider this parable, Jesus gives all the information that we need to know to see what the kingdom of God is. And, and we see the, 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 the wheat and the weeds that are combined. And uh, I think any of us who've had a, a garden in our home or, or tried to, to grow things and, and pull weeds kind of we resonate with the story a little bit. Sometimes I can be, um, well, to really get weeds out of the garden, right, you have to, you have to do some work. You got to get down and, and pull the roots out so they don't grow back. And sometimes I can get a little lazy and use the weed whacker. Uh, and in the garden, the flower garden, um, it's easy to, see, for me, like in my garden, I, I can see the difference between weeds and, uh, and, and the flowers, but uh, thinking I could just zip right on through, knock those down, everything will be fine, and then I accidentally take out the flower. That's not good. And I always like, Brad, you're stupid. Why did you do that again? And I don't learn my lesson all the time because I still think I'm a master with the weed whacker. Uh, <clears throat> but if I really wanted to cultivate my garden well, it would be get down on my hands and knees and to dig and pull those out. Because I can see the difference between the weed and the weed, uh, the weed and the flower. But what we have going on here is something different. And uh, and and it's and so why did Jesus say let's wait? And so let's let's talk a little bit about it. when he says the kingdom of God is like a man who sows. The sower is the son of man, Jesus Christ. He says here that the one who sows this, the good seed is the son of man. The sower is the son of man. And going back to the question, he who has ears, let him hear. Are, are you listening that the sower is the son of man? The kingdom of heaven is the son of man sowing good seed in this world. It is the work of God's redemptive plan through the son of man. Now, who is the son of man? The son of man is Jesus Christ. And why does he recall himself the son of man? Why not the son of God or the Christ, the Messiah? Jesus rarely referred to himself as the Christ, as the Messiah, and on different, of some of the different Gospels, he'll refer to himself as the Son of God, but his favorite title for himself was the Son of Man. And, and so, Son of God definitely refers to the deity of Jesus Christ and his special relationship with the Father. Son of Man also uh, communicates to us that, that Jesus is human. He liked to, dis to claim his humanity, that he has come into this world through the incarnation to identify with the human race in order to be the perfect man who completed the Old Testament law to, in order to become the perfect sacrifice and go to the cross to shed his blood for our sins and, and, and so that we would have that. But Son of Man refers to something even, even uh, deeper than just his humanity. And uh, in Daniel 7, if you want to turn to Daniel 7, we'll just read two verses if you don't want to turn in there, but um, I think it's very important that as Matthew communicates over, I think, 130 times throughout the book of Matthew, he references things in the Old Testament, pointing back to Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He is the bridge from the Old Testament into the New Covenant, into the New Testament. Daniel 7, verses 13 to 14, in the middle of Daniel's uh, dreams that he's having, he says, 
In verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, and he was presented before him, and to him... The Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, and languages should serve him. His is the dominion that is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Don't miss this. Jesus is referring to himself as the Son of Man, was declaring himself to be the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7, 13 and 14, the anointed one of God, who has come to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament. Jesus was saying, I am he. This is who I am. I'm the son of man that Daniel was speaking about. He told you hundreds of years ago that one would come to bring the kingdom of God to you. And I am him. I am here. As I read through Daniel 7, I, I, I felt like it was reminiscent of something Paul wrote to the Philippians in, verse, uh, in chapter 2. It says, and being found in verse 8, chapter 2, Philippians 2, And being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Like, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus has fulfilled all the promises Regarding up to the point of his crucifixion, resurrection, and is continuing to fulfill the promises um, that we look forward to him coming back to. So why spend so much time talking about Jesus, the son of man, the sower, in this parable? Well, um, Tasker said this, Jesus and his parables are inseparable. To fail to understand him, to uh, fail to understand Jesus, is to fail to understand the parables. We have to get it right. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Son of Man. He is the Anointed One, the Son of God, who has come to bring us to salvation. So as we look through this, thinking of who Jesus Christ is, do you know him? Do you have a personal, active relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you spending time with him daily, pursuing him in his word that he speaks to us through prayer that we speak to him, in community with others that encourage one another to follow him? John 17, 3 says this, that, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This epigenosco, this personal relationship with Jesus Christ is the most important thing that we can have in this life and the next So what do we learn about this Jesus from this parable? He intentionally sowed, the Son of Man, intentionally sows good seed in this world. That he has placed in this world good seed, the, the sons of the kingdom. He is aware that we have a very real enemy. It says that the, uh, that they're, the devil is planting the weeds. John 17 also says in verse 15... Jesus says this to the Father in his high priestly prayer. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He knows that casting out good seed means that there is an an enemy that we have of our souls. He is patient. He says, don't uproot the wheat, the, the weeds, unless you uproot the wheat. Wait until harvest. 
2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so important, especially as we consider this parable and where it goes in this parable, that there are wheat, that there are genuine believers, there are unbelievers, and that there is a very real punishment for rejecting his message. And that's not his desire that any should perish, but that they would come to repentance. So he is waiting this season where the weed and the wheat are growing together, he is patiently waiting till the day of harvest for some to come to repentance. He is just. He will send his angels to gather the wicked and to finally put an end to sin. It says all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. <clears throat> so the sower is the son of man. The field is a mixed field. This is our present reality. Jesus looking out into the crowd as he spoke, he knew there were those who rejected him, some who accepted him, so he spoke in parable. But it's also a reality that we live in in the church today. Uh, that according to this parable, it is uh, that he is saying that even in this room today, very likely there are some who genuinely believe and some who have rejected the message and who may have convinced themselves that they have received it. This parable is challenging us to say, where am I? Who am I? Who is Jesus? The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. Jesus is introducing us to the reality of spiritual warfare, to the truth that there is a devil, the enemy of our souls. The devil is actively spreading seeds of doubt and destruction. Started in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? Yea, hath God said. God couldn't have really meant that. And all throughout human history, continually, even after we have the written word of God in our hands and we can look and see what did God say, people still say, did it really say that? Huh? No, does it does it say that? There's a question about God's word, and then there's a seed of doubt and uh, and trying to convince us otherwise. Jesus uh, tells us about this parallel in John 10:10. 10, 10. Says the thief, the enemy has come only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And you can see that as you think about the the, the seeds of the weeds and the seed of the wheat. One leads to life and one leads to destruction. Some have called the reality of the mixed field uh, as the difference between the visible church and the invisible church. The visible church is those who gather, who is, would be the wheat and, the, and the, the weeds combined. But then the invisible church is the genuine believers throughout all time that one day will be revealed in the harvest. That one day when we can look forward to that day when uh, we will know and be known completely. The reality of living in a mixed field is that we will suffer and struggle until the harvest. So as the, the wheat um, and the, the weeds were, were mixed, that the, the root systems would have mixed, and, and there would have been a struggle for sunlight, there would have been struggle for water, there would have been struggle for life, and there's this struggle that we find ourselves in. And I, I find it that uh, James chapter 3 talks a lot about this struggle of wondering what is the, the wisdom that comes from the wheat from God and what is the, the wisdom of the, uh, um, the weeds. In James 3, verse 14 through 18 says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambitions in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. 
and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. These are characteristics of the weeds and the wheat seen in James. As I think about that, at all times, we have chameleons among us who are the weeds. They look and act like believers, but they have not had a truly repentant or converted heart. And then there are genuine believers, the wheat, that are waiting until the time of harvest, persevering in faith and holding fast to God's word. But there will be a day of of harvest. There will be a judgment, and there will be a day of joy for the believers. But at the time of harvest, the fruit will be revealed. This is our, our future hope as believers, uh, that, that Jesus Christ will return one day. The harvest day is his return to set up and establish his kingdom once and for all time, doing away uh, with sin and death um, and disease. Um, but as we consider this parable, the weeds, the enemy plants are, are, are dangerous right now. Uh, they look just like wheat in the early stages. If we look at the, the word for the weeds, it's, uh, it's most likely speaking of darnel, a, uh, a particular type of weed that looks just like wheat until it's fully grown. Darnel is a poisonous weed. In small doses, it can cause intoxication. In larger doses, it'll cause death. Darnell is a mimic weed and neither entirely tame or quite wild. It looks and behaves like wheat, so much so that it can't live without human assistance. Darnell seeds are stowaways. The plant's survival strategy requires its seeds to be harvested among those with uh, domesticated grasses stored and replanted for next season. Darnell is something that has throughout history kind of plagued some of the, the wheat growth. One of the, in the Journal of Ethnobiology, it said, where there is darnel, there is treachery and toxicity. Uh, it's not a pleasant plant. Uh, and, and oftentimes it would get uh, mixed in with bread, and uh, as they would eat it, it would cause um, a high, an intoxication, uh, nauseousness, or, or like death. And as I, I was thinking about this, the weeds that come in, like weeds here, the poison, the danger, um, that oftentimes uh, throughout church history that weeds have come in. The Darnell has grown within the church and taught caustic doctrines, that they have taught, taught toxic things that destroy faith, that, that lead us away from the Son of Man and, and create God into their own image. It sounds really good on paper uh, when you start listening to it, but then it, something, something's not quite right. And there's, there's a lot of this in our day and age, uh, especially as we have... Um, you know, books all over the place. We have the internet. We have a lot of different things that keep going on and passing on things that co- that claim to be Christian, but they are far from it. That they are the doctrine of the weeds, and we have to be very careful. There was once a book I was reading by a guy who was a pastor, and I uh, claimed not to be a theologian, but in it he said this: that when Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, he wasn't claiming the uh, the only way, he wasn't claiming ex- exclusivity to God, but the best possible way to live. And he was one of those teachers who were saying, Jesus was just presenting a good way to live, but not, not true salvation. And I'm like, that verse you quote, it says, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Like, that's the most exclusive statement in the scriptures you can find. Like, Jesus says, I'm the only way. There is no other way. And he says, he's just the best possible way, but that leads to other ways. No, there is no other way, only Jesus. 
But the, the teaching of the weeds can get intoxicating. It can be alluring and exciting, and it can draw away the wheat if we're not careful. And so Peter says this, be sober-minded. I think this is so uh, appropriate to this, what the weeds are, the darnell that can cause a sense of intoxication. He says, no, be sober-minded. Be watchful because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That we have to be wise. We have to know that there are weeds that are teaching the seed, the, the, the planting the seeds of the enemy around us to draw us away from the truth of who God is. The description of the end of the weeds is not pleasant, and it's one that should cause us pause and we should think about. It says, The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus did not hesitate to talk about the reality of hell. He actually talked more about hell than he did about heaven. He does not want anyone to go there. We read that earlier. It's not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. He speaks this to provoke hearts and minds to the truth. The lie of the devil may be fun for a season, but it's not worth eternity in hell. Brunner warns us this. Hell is not a doctrine used to frighten non-believers. It is a doctrine used to warn those who think themselves believers. If you're a genuine believer, you have no need to worry about hell. But if you're not sure, he's provoking thought. Am I in the faith? Do I know Jesus Christ? Am I a weed or am I a wheat? We need to ask ourselves these questions. The wheat is the perseverance of the faithful. When the harvest comes, the weeds will be bound together and, and destroyed in a fiery furnace. They will, the unbelievers will be gathered out of the church and they will be sent to hell. The believers, though, um, are on to, to joy. But again, like as we, we examine ourselves, Second Peter thir, I mean Second Corinthians thirteen five says, Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourself that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test, the test of belief, repentance, that you have received him, that you rely upon him and not upon yourself, that you recognize your own inadequacies and you need Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. What counts is not profession of faith, but perseverance in faith. To be sure, all Christians will persevere, but only by observing who perseveres can we determine who the true Christians are, said Bloomberg in, the, in his commentary on Matthew. <clears throat> we can only know someone's truly saved by a persevering life in the end. We can be very good at play acting and acting like Christians, but are we truly Christians and so it oftentimes it is through the struggles, through the brokenness of life that reveal who, genuine faith, that those who, you know, hit a bump in the road who then say, this is, this is too much, I'm, I'm, I'm jettisoned, I'm gone, I'm doing my own thing, I don't believe in God anymore, as if that's going to make life better to deny a God who can give meaning and purpose to our pain and our suffering. But there are those who do that, they blame God, they move away from God. But when a believer encounters suffering and struggle in life, they hold fast to who God is. They might have doubts. They might have questions, for sure. All of us do. Um, and if we have doubts, it is why we need a community of faith to come together and communicate with each other our struggles and our doubts and allow that the Bible has very real answers to our doubts and our deepest and hardest questions. 
But even King David, when he was going through trials that he couldn't understand, he complained to God, where are you? How long? But I'm going to trust you until that happens. He doesn't come to a resolution in the middle of some of those psalms. He just says, I have this complaint, but I'm trusting you. And that's what God's call to us. But for those of us who are found faithful, who persevere until the end, there's a great reward that awaits them. He says, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Hell is a very real reality, but so is heaven. When the kingdom of God comes in its glory, splendor, and we are joined together face to face with Jesus for eternity, there will be no more sin, no more disease, no more death, no more separation. There will be no more weeds, no more struggle, no more deception. We will see and be seen fully. We will know and be known. And so James says, you also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, I may have lost my last page. So, <laughs> God apparently says, uh, this is going to be the end of the sermon. Um <laughs> So I just want to end with a few points of application as we think through this. Um, it, is, it is so important that we know that when he says, he who has ears to hear, that, that we ask ourselves, am I listening? Am I hearing the voice of God? God, you know, as, as the psalmist said in Psalm 139, search me and know me and see if there's any wicked way in me. God, are you, am I listening? Am I, am I truly in the faith? And examine, and it's, it's a good thing. As a believer, when we can come back to it, and I see God in my life. What a joy that is. Even this week, like, I'll, be, I'll admit there's times that I'll, I'll struggle sometimes and be like, you know, do I, do I really believe this? And then I look back and I say, wow, I could not have done that on my own. I could not have made it through that. Uh, for me, one of the, the things, significant times in my life was uh, in Bible school, I, 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 I was pretty angry for some, some reason. I don't even know why. I just like to get mad. Um, I was playing volleyball, and I just, I threw a, an adolescent temper tantrum, I guess, so what, I was at 19 at the time, and I just threw the ball down and stormed off the court, and I'm just pitching a fit for something super stupid, and, uh, and God convicted me about my anger, and, um, and I was like, that, that was common for me at the time, and I just, like, God... This, is, this does not reflect you or your glory. This doesn't um, put a, a relation. This doesn't show the relationship I have with you. And, and so I was like, God, if, if I lose my temper like that, I should give up volleyball or sports altogether. So I took some time away from the game I love, and I prayed about it, and I pursued um, some good conversations about it, and then I slowly started working back into playing. And, but I can tell you today, over the years, to see where I was at that moment that I remember distinctly losing my temper uh, to where God has brought me today, and I see how he has worked, has worked out those anger issues in my life uh, to give me joy and patience and long-suffering, and, and I know that's him. And so I can say, praise God, look what he did, because I couldn't do it on my own. I actually liked my anger. I don't know why. But when we take this parable, and it's the kingdom of heaven, it's the sower, the son of man, planting good seeds, but there's the weeds that we have to be careful about um, and that there is there's an end. There's a judgment coming, um, both a judgment unto uh, to fire and a judgment unto joy. 
we need to remember that this is not a parable of judgment and condemnation of others, but a parable for humility and distrust of self. You shouldn't be sitting here going like, who's the weeds? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, am I the wheat, is the question. Am I the wheat? Uh, we will not be able to tell the difference between the, all the weeds and the wheat until the end, till the harvest time. Uh, see, wheat, when it germinates, it grows into, um, in, into a, a, a brown kernel, a, a plump corner, and the, the darnel is like a, a darker grayish, almost black, smaller seed. You can, you can sift them out, you can tell the difference. And in modern technology, most of the fields have uh, uh, gotten rid of the darnel and the areas that it used to grow. Like the, the fields are, are no more, but we can see the difference. But it has to come to the place where fruit is displayed. Mat maturation has to happen. The fruit has to be displayed. And so, uh, again, what fruit am I growing in my life? Am I getting into the word of God? And then we need to, to wait patiently on God, knowing that he is working things out that this is a parable of perseverance. God has a plan. The kingdom of God is the reign of God, and he will bring it about to fruition, that we have heaven to look forward to. And what a day that will be. Let's close in prayer. Father God, as we conclude this time, I thank you for the parables that Jesus Christ spoke and the lessons that we learned from him. I pray that as we Consider the Son of Man, the, the bridge, the fulfillment of the Old Testament in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, Lord, and the, his call to us that, in the, that are we in the faith? Have we truly accepted and, and received Jesus Christ? Do we have that personal relationship with Christ? Help us to be discerning and cautious of the lies and the seeds of the enemy, uh, Lord, that we might have a faith that, when tested, will prove to be faithful and that we will persevere to the end. May we look forward to the glorious hope that Christ will return in the harvest and he will establish his kingdom uh, forever. And we thank you again for the testimony of this word in Jesus' name. Amen.